All right, welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio Podcast. Uh, we've had quite a week with more hoaxes and uh, quite a bit going on in the world. Um, funny thing about Dallas is James Alfred, who is my guest on this show, um, we had an email exchange on seven seven sixteen. And uh, we predicted, or I predicted, that there would be a big event on this day. And the funny thing is, the email exchange happened at about, it was in the afternoon, sometime around 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So not a lot of the day left when uh, I emailed him back, uh, having an actual record of proof that this was predicted uh, by the date alone, that there would be an event. And sure enough, the next morning... uh, you know, I don't watch the news. James emailed me and said, oh, my gosh, you know, you predicted that this would happen. And it did. Um, unfortunately, we're still wearing diapers. I had no way to know this was going to be in Dallas. But I knew damn well that the date of that day uh, was going to be conducive to a false event and not just an everyday event. One of the bigger events, which is what Dallas was, a hoaxed event. Um, you know, I've talked so extensively about how the weight of the details Uh, and all these hoax events will kill them. If you are a person who can see detail and logically take apart the detail you can see, these hoaxes die under the weight of these details. Um, You can take anything, like uh, how about Y2K? Uh, What do we know about Y2K? How many of you feel that was an actual event? How many of you feel it was a hoaxed event? Would it change your opinion any if I told you that in the word Y2K, you're looking at 9-11 encoded? Y is the 25th letter. 2 and 5 is 7, plus 2 is 9, and K is the 11th letter in the alphabet. There it is, 9-11. I pointed out not too long ago that our whole lives we've been watching a show called Star Trek, where the number 9-11 is encoded right in the hall numbers, uh, as is the number 33, which is a bit of calling card for those who have followed. But I want to mention before we jump into this episode and I give you all the topics that we cover that there is only one true Crow 777 website and that is crow777radio.com. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is because there's somewhere between 5 and 10 fake sites uh, trying to convince people I'm a Mason and uh, following Satan, I guess, or Baphomet. And there is also a fake Uh, Facebook page. I do not use social media. I do have a Facebook page up, which I never use. Uh, Actually, that's not true. I occasionally post when I put an episode up, but I don't use it for communication. But crow777.com.net.org.wordpress.a whole bunch of things is uh, working very hard to try to convince people who don't know any better that I am Masonic and following Baphomet and the all-seeing eye is up, and all kinds of nonsense. Um, Many of my followers have stopped by some of these places to let the jackass who's pulling this stuff off know uh, that it's not appreciated and that he needs to get a life, but it is, in fact, an organized attack of some sort to uh, skew people's view of the work I do, I guess. Um, Anyhow, uh, uh, let me give a quick list of the things we cover in this episode, and I should mention at the end of the second hour, which will run on crow777radio.com, I have a short excerpt from James that covers the email exchange we had that predicted the Dallas shooting, Uh, and we have proof of that in an email exchange. Anyhow, here's what we cover in this episode. Alistair Crowley, and let me preface this, all the names of people you're about to see, a lot of it is about whether they really truly existed or whether they're just constructs. Anyhow, Alistair Crowley, Brexit, Theosophy, Crowley and Blavatsky, 
JPL, Jack Parsons, the beginnings of NASA, the idea of the homunculus or moon child, the Pythagorean school of thought, the monad, the duad, and the triad, the works of Plato, Aristotle, and other Greek philosophers, the cube, space as water, earth as a closed system, what is called the firmament, solstices and equinoxes, color and how it's used by mass media, the color purple specifically and its use in the Prince hoax and recent shootings, mass shooting hoaxes, Freemasonry. We talk quite a bit about my view on Freemasonry and what it actually is. Uh, weather forecasting as it relates to chemtrails and its accuracy in the modern age. Olympics, TV, the movies, engineered society that, that is dependent on fear. The idea of things like cryptid, Sasquatch, and the Mothman. Video games, the world population, and lifespans of the ruling class. And again, I closed the second hour uh, where James and I talked yesterday about the email exchange we had on 7-7-16, the day Dallas occurred. Uh, we did this email exchange before the Dallas event in which I predicted that there would be some kind of a hoaxed event this day. So I hope to see you all over at Crow777Radio.com. This will serve as episode 15, uh, although I think it is labeled 14. This will be the last of the episodes that got out of whack, out of order. Oh, I should also mention, I did an interview uh, with the Hot Potatoes Flat Earth um, channel, and I got so many kind of emails saying that I'm supporting CIA agents and all this other kind of stuff. So people should understand, I don't vet anybody. If they're polite, it's likely I'll do the interview. If I only did interviews with people who I agreed with or agreed with me, there would be very damn few interviews of me out there. And the idea that I am somehow supporting their work by interviewing with them is ridiculous. What's actually going on is I'm offering information and it matters not who I'm speaking with, the information that I'm offering doesn't change unless there has been some change in where I'm at. Uh, in my view, the more places you can get information out, the better off we are. Because let's face it, the mass media wakes up one morning and puts out information to millions of people in one fell swoop. The rest of us who are trying to expose all the nonsense that they are pushing as real uh, we reach relatively few people. So I would just say the idea that because I do an interview with someone is means I'm bolstering them or backing their work in some way is patently ridiculous. The criteria I use to do an interview is if someone is polite and conducts themselves in an acceptable fashion, there's a good chance I'll do the interview. That may not always be the case. In some cases, um, I'm not interested in doing interviews in certain places. But having said that, there it is. Let's jump into episode 15. Right. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio Podcast. This will serve as episode 14. I have James Alfred back again. Uh, we're doing a bit of a reverse interview as we did before. Uh, but this one is a little more targeted. James came up with, well, all the questions. Uh, I didn't contribute anything to this. Uh, so... He submitted, or well, actually has been submitting uh, questions to me for a number of days. And as we speak, there were some new questions added that I have not yet seen. Um, but anyhow, without beating this cow any further to death, let's uh, jump in and welcome, James. Hey, Crow. Thanks for uh, taking the time to talk to me. Hey, no problem, man. Um, how have you been? 
doing pretty good. Yeah, it's still uh, researching for the blog, uh, kind of following, tracking down different leads of uh, ideas and so forth, books. So, uh, yeah, response has been very good, um, but it's all the extra research and reading has kept me busy, no doubt about it. Uh, for those of you that don't remember, James runs, owns, and operates Sage Sigma Unbound blog. And James, if I said that wrong, correct it. Yeah, it's sagesigmaunbound.com. Um, I moved from the old Google blog service uh, server over to a WordPress site just so I could have a little bit more control. Yeah, so. that's, that's right. I keep forgetting. I have it bookmarked, no so I don't pay attention. I, I'm so used to the Unbound thing. But I do no follow problem. your blog. Um, well, thank you. And I know that when, when you post things of interest, you email me. So I know when I haven't caught up for a month or longer, uh, if anything has gone on, that you will ping me in the first place. But we, I, I mean, I wish I could put a topic on what's going to get covered here, but facts are facts. We go from A to Z. I mean, there is no putting a subject around what we're about to cover here. We cover everything from Freemasonry to, and I hate to say the word, but I will, Brexit. That's the only time you're going to hear me sure. say that word because um, I'm not into echoing spells. But, sure. uh, I, I mean, let's just do it. I'll kick it over to you, James, and uh, you start where you where you see fit. And uh, I know I prepped for some of the questions, and some of them I have not, well, just barely seen. So go for it. Okay, yeah, no problem. I guess just to return back to the idea of uh, Brexit, since that was all over the, the news last end of last week, that, of course, being where the U.K. decided to drop out of the European Union, um, and it received quite a bit of coverage leading up to it and to the actual referendum votes and so forth. I guess I just wanted to get a take as to what your thoughts are on the idea of Brexit. All right. And as I said, I will never say that word again. And if I do, it's a complete accident. Um, there's spellcraft when you see a word like that that's made up and it's weird and it wants to roll off your tongue. And, you know, they'll probably reuse it. They'll probably have five other countries that put their little two letters before the word exit. But uh, as you know, I do not watch news. As a matter of fact, when I saw this question about the EU uh, mm -hmm. and, and Britain leaving, I didn't even know what the word I won't say is. Um, so I had to go glance, and the second I saw it, I realized what your question was about. The first and foremost most important thing here is, in my view, this was a way to put a governing body over a hell of a lot of people without an election. And, mm -hmm. and that smacks of what people will call new world order and to further watch a country like Britain fall out of it to me seems like a way for them to be pulling the strings behind the scenes and saying, what are you talking about? We left. We don't have anything to do with this, but unless I am completely off base here, they managed to change a bunch of countries to a currency called the Euro. And if I'm mm -hmm. further off base because I don't watch the news and I may be, I think Britain never left and stayed on sterling. Is that correct? Britain still stayed on sterling, did they not? Uh, there's definitely, yes, they were definitely uh, still using that, but there was some sort of uh, um, connection to the euro. I, I'm not a uh, global finance commodities trader so far, so I could be talking out of my uh, yeah. uh, my back end here. But, uh, but you know, there was definitely a currency market attached to the to the pound um, that continued to exist, uh, but also the euro. So, yes. So, so what this comes down to um, is you're seeing a scripted game that's been planned for decades. And how do I know it was planned for decades? Besides the fact that I try to learn like a human being, and I know it was planned for decades, uh, to demonstrate to that to people, there are now folks out there showing that the BRE 
XIT idea was echoed in Ferris Bueller's Day Off 30 years mm. ago. Yeah. And that kind of demonstrates what we're talking about. But the damage was done. People have heard me talk about not joining groups. Well, the only thing worse than joining a group I can think of is making your currency the group you're joining. Um, because now your whole monetary system is subject to whatever is done to that currency called the euro. Um, in my view, this is scripted. In my view, the word I will not say is a spell being cast. Um, and I think the whole thing is a damn cry and shame. And I think it's mm -hmm. further a shame that people like Scotland, which I respect immensely, are so happy to be free, which they should be, but they may be missing the point here in terms of things I've just mentioned. Sure, sure. On the Ferris Bueller thing, I don't recall that. Do you remember what exactly was in that film regarding a, this situation that just popped up? Well, when I first saw your question, which was number one on the docket of one of the things you're asking me, I had to go educate myself because I didn't know uh -huh. what that word meant. And so okay. uh, when I went and instantly realized what you were asking me, you were asking me about the European Union and uh, Britain leaving, uh, I went and looked at a couple people that I follow and a couple things that are just out there searchable. And there was one screenshot among other things that have been discovered that show an exit sign on Ferris Bueller's bedroom door with the, you know, the British flag under it, a picture of the king, clearly, huh. clearly echoing the idea. And, you know, people are going to go look at this and there's more to it than that. It's just this is the one thing I'll point to. If people want to know more, go look. Um, uh -huh. everything that is done by the ruling class, by these royal elite, is plausibly deniable. Until you understand how that works, you may not catch things like I'm explaining, but there it is. Uh, that's, yeah, very interesting. I'll have to check that one out. Okay, well, uh, actually, getting back to uh, the original uh, point of wanting to have this conversation with you, I kind of wanted to follow up with our uh, the Laurel Canyon chat. Um, towards the end of that episode where we discussed uh, the Hollywood Laurel Canyon rock and roll scene and the uh, the idea that it was socially engineered uh, to create this music, uh, the mid-60s and so forth. Uh, at the tail end, you had we kind of touched based on the idea of Aleister Crowley. Um, so I kind of wanted to get um, your take on that. You had mentioned mm -hmm. that there might not even have been a historical figure, Aleister Crowley. Do you have uh, anything to kind of add on that uh, spirit of thought? Well, it's not just Alistair, uh, our good buddy, who's the beast, the devil, the evil one, the you know, the the guy on the cover of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, the the go-to guy, Jimmy Page, you know, Jimmy Page's favorite guy. Go, Jimmy Page goes to buy all his stuff, his mansions and castles. And when we look at a figure like this in history, in my view, um, there's a good chance that you're looking at just a character that was invented. In Crowley's case, he wasn't around so far back, um, but it's a ways back, so I'm on the fence, but I still think yeah. it's quite possible that he's a character. But when we look closely at Crowley, the first, like, for the Laurel Canyon stuff that you and I just covered, yeah. so much of the work done by the one gentleman was claiming that October 12 was a death date for all these people that was shared with Crowley's birth. Well, Crowley was not born or did not die on uh, on the date that he was citing, uh, as far mm -hmm. as I can tell. It was, unless I'm misremembering, I think it was the 12th that was being cited, and what I found yeah. is he died on uh, October, oh shoot, I didn't write it down, sorry, I can't tell you. But, taking a closer look, this is the things you need to pay attention to. Crowley's of noble birth. Anyone, anyone who's of noble birth is 
different than you and I. They have doors open to them. They have mm-hmm. access to knowledge. They have all these things that are not shared with the common man. So that is the first thing to consider. But when I began to look at his birth and death dates, I realized that 33 was coded into it. He mm. was born on uh, the 12th of October. Oh, I'm sorry. There it is right in front of my face. Uh, everything I just said about the misciting is <laughs> my stupid mistake, and I apologize. Um, there's the 12th of the October right there. I don't know what I was thinking. Anyhow, he was born on the 12th of October. It's because it was a death date with all the rock stars. Crowley's birth date was echoed in death dates. There it is. That's correct, and that was my bad. But if you take the 12th, 1 and 2 becomes 3. His mm-hmm. death date is in 1875, uh, or 18... Uh, am I really messing this up? Let's see. Born October. Oh, I've got it messed up. He was born on the 12th and died on the 18th of October, aged 75 years. Um, okay. That's a coding of 33. So they always use the... the uh, the day, like the 12th, 1 and 2 becomes 3, and the last two letters of a year. In other words, they don't do the 18, they do the 7 and the 5 typically, and so 7 and 5 adds down to 3. 12, and that's another 12, which adds down to 3. So 33 is encoded in his birth and death, or in his birth, I'm sorry. He died on the 1st of December, 1947. The 47 works out uh-huh. to 11. He was aged 72 years. That works out to 9. So 9-11 is encoded in his death date. Uh-huh. Um, here's the thing about these supposed secret teachings. Mm-hmm. All of them, all of them go back to Indian, Buddhist, and Hindu teaching at the oldest rear view we can look now egypt falls in there somewhere but some people will tell you that the history of egypt does not even resemble what it actually was or wasn't my point would be this any of these occult teachings and very commonly have to do with buddhist mind sciences again my problem here is i studied tibetan buddhism for years and i met some people that were pretty adept meditators phds in the whole astrology in the tibetan style which ties into their medicine, which is all herbs and things like this. Um, And I talked with those people, and they confirmed what I already knew. You Mm -hmm. will not ever see in writing or be told or taught anything that's truly occult and hidden until you're ready as a human being. It won't Mm -hmm. happen. So what we're talking about here is these occult traditions borrowing from the Indian, Buddhist, and Hindu traditions, and, you know, Egypt ties into it somehow, um, uh-huh. but, but the Indian and Buddhist and Hindu are probably the oldest traditions we can look at. Um, they're corrupted. And besides the fact that they're corrupted, they're not really the secret teachings that people who are initiated adepts that have worked their way to a high level get. So on a whole, what you're looking at is people really wanting to learn something occult, but really not getting it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I feel that uh, in my current path of research. You feel like you want to get to some true knowledge base or some true material and um it's always clouded it's difficult to figure out what exactly um is is true and what's mistaken um and then i guess that gets or go ahead well that's a true thing but i would point out um my fascination with tibetan buddhism was that i knew some of the most sage teachings had come out of india one of those teachings that died in india was buddhism the home for that became tibet 
Tibet's entire country was built to be an enlightenment machine. That's what they did. All the people worked to support the monks. The monks worked to try to reach enlightenment. It was like this whole circle thing that was built. But it wasn't just religion. As a matter of fact, the lion's share of it had nothing to do with religion, though we do see the corruption even there, where they're worshiping an idol, a statue of Buddha. Well, that's a corruption. But what we do see is the mind science, learning how to further what the human mind can do through meditation and all these other you know, very occult teachings. Um, so I thought I'd throw that in because that's what the theosophists and all these other people are led, leveraging off. And the truth is, um, they're not telling you anything secret. Sure, sure. So that kind of goes into my next question I want to run by you. Um, you know, the ideas of Thelema theosophy, you know, whether it's Crowley or Blavatsky, do you think these things were socially engineered religious constructs? Um, it's hard for me to know that, but in the, ter- in the in the case of Blavatsky, I mean, there's even people writing her biographies and other things s- trying to prove whether or not she was in Tibet. Hmm. Well, one of her main claims to fame was being one of the first Western women to see the Forbidden City before it was open to the West, um, Lhasa. And so uh, that raises questions to me. But again, we're looking at a noble who was raised by a princess. That's, sure. That's Blavatsky. So... It, you know, these royal families, these noble births are never far, and so we know what royalty does with important information, and sharing is not one of those things. Um, but again, we're looking at someone who went into Tibet, like I was saying before, uh, is trying to leverage off the Buddhism. But here's a good point to make about Blavatsky. If you read, like, uh, Isis Unveiled, which I did, if you read The Secret Doctrine, which I did uh, back in the day, Mm-hmm. You hear her using the globe model, the solar system model, uh, the same model that's provided by NASA. I would point out, if NASA has lied about anything, the description of this world, how the moon works, how the sun works, how planets actually work, then everything Blavatsky is saying is based on a lie. Huh. Oh, I'll have to definitely follow up with those books. Those sound uh, interesting. I haven't, I haven't actually read any of Blavatsky's stuff, but I do know that uh, she's tied to like this idea of a Gnostic or some sort of an occult sensibility that existed, you know, 19th, 20th century. So I'm just curious for your take on that. Um, and then in kind of in the same strain, the next question I wanted to ask you, we had talked a little bit about Jack Parsons at the beginning of the 20th century, the, uh, the famous rocket scientist slash magician so forth who was tied to Crowley in L.A., I believe, in the mid 1940s. Um, what's your take on that Jack Parsons saga, his uh, involvement with uh, Jet Propulsion Lab and the beginnings of NASA? Well, as far as I know, most of the information about how most of the broad information that we have about how NASA was founded and about Parsons in particular, and actually his connections to, uh, uh, what's the guy's name who founded Scientology? Uh, L. Ron Hubbard, yes. Yeah, his connections to L. Ron Hubbard and just that whole group of supposed magicians, that information came to us through Richard C. Hoagland. Um, as far as I know, uh, it was done. Oh, really? in, it was done in Dark Mission, and I'm not really aware of anyone outside of that research that Hoagland did bringing all that to light. How it was supposed that NASA was founded with a group of magicians, which Parsons was among, um, uh-huh. and then a group of Nazis, and then a group of Masons. There were three groups, according to Hoagland. Here's my problem: Hoagland worked for NASA, mm-hmm. admittedly. And then he Mm -hmm. made a whole career out of 
furthering the idea that we did in fact go to the moon, but NASA lied about it because there was aliens there. Now I have a huge problem with that. In my view, that is a true shilling. Mm-hmm. That is a true work of a shill by way of saying NASA lied, further instilling the idea that the moon landing happened when we can pretty much undeniably demonstrate no moon landing occurred. So here's my point. As far as I know, most of that information came through Hoagland. I'm not sure if others have researched it, but the stuff that I was aware of through the book Dark Mission, eh, I would take it with a grain of salt at best. Yeah. Huh, huh, very very interesting. Yeah, he's, it's a name that continuously pops up in this area of research, and I just, you never know what to make of it, because you've got one side that says that this individual was, you know, attempting to create a moon child with a, a woman um, based on Crowley, whatever else you want to call it, and then he's doing science fiction films, doing special effects for science fiction films, but yet he's this genius rocket scientist and so forth. It's just, it's a curious uh, historical figure. No, um, nothing better than intrigue to get folks to take their eye off the ball and Mm -hmm. buy into things like what NASA was actually doing. And for those of you that followed me, you remember that while I was on the road trip uh, going across country, Richard C. Hoagland gave a quote to, God, I think it was Newsweek, basically stating that I was a CIA plant. So, I mean, there it is, really. He worked for NASA. (laughs) That's a bit like the pot calling the kettle even related yeah, yeah, and I've heard uh, other researchers who've been involved with him. Personally, I don't know him, haven't spoken to him, but I know that if you present material that kind of is uh, a little bit different than the message he wants to state, he's very quick to dismiss it and not have an open mind. So take it for what it's worth, whatever you know, that message you know, is. Yeah, Greg Carlwood pointed out rightly. Greg Carlwood tried to get him, and he was turned down. Um, Richard C. Hoagland talks about a very narrow sliver of research that is all designed to make you buy into the fact that astronauts were on the moon. Um, His people contacted me um, and asked for an interview. And Mm -hmm. I said, well, last I heard, he said I was a CIA plant. Mm -hmm. And uh, the producer said he had not heard that. And I said, really? You haven't heard that when it was printed in Newsweek? And so... Uh, it went on from there, and I finally said, sure, I'd be happy to do an interview as long as you assure me it's not going to be a hit piece. Mm-hmm. And I said, because the irony here is if anything I've said is true, everything Richard has done is nullified. But by the same token, if anything Richard has said is true, everything I have done is nullified. So mm-hmm. that's where that was left. Huh, huh. Well, uh, just continuing along the Parsons things, I did want to get your take on this idea of the moon child that is so frequently brought up in books and in material in this area. Do you think, again, this is uh, the moon child, again, being this idea that you can create this artificial being that looks like a human being so forth, but it carries with it, um, whether you want to call it an elemental or a cosmic consciousness, however you best define that. Do you think that is more of a distraction, again, that came out of the, the Crowley camp, or do you think that there's some maybe inherent basis of reality attached to this idea of a homunculus or a moon child let me see how can i put this politely but not too politely Um, (laughs) i'll say flower genitals poppycock all right yeah fair enough yes yes um okay now we're gonna hop back a little bit in time um this kind of ties into some of the hattie bow research i've been doing uh the idea of octaves and uh mathematics that dictate reality and so forth. And it does seem to have an attachment to the Pythagorean school of thought. 
Uh, there's been some criticism leveled at Pythagoras, you know, over the course of the past few months and so forth. And I just want to get your your take on Pythagoras. Do you think he existed? And do you think that any knowledge that's attached to the school of Pythagoras has any value uh, worth betting out? Um, any ideas on that school of thought? Well, here's here's the catch twenty two. Um, I have huge problems with science, but science is what allows us to have a car and a refrigerator, and I appreciate mm -hmm. both of those things. So, does Pythagorean school of thought have a value? Yes, it does. Here's the rub. Some months ago, I came to the conclusion that the big problem with modern science is the foundation of modern science is materialism. It's what it is. Mm -hmm. there's, mm -hmm. no, there's no getting away from that. One of the biggest ills of the modern society and one of the things that is pushed the hardest by the ruling class of Decepticons that run this world is materialism. It's what keeps us all busy wanting cars and consuming and doing all these other things that are not really that helpful on a spiritual level. What modern science does, which Pythagoras is foundational to, is ignore a very important part of human learning, which is spiritual, for lack of a better term. I don't really want to say religious. I don't really want to say spiritual, but I think people understand what I'm getting at. Modern science will not recognize a thing that cannot be touched, seen, weighed, measured, you know, handled in some material, physical way. And I'm here to tell you that there are significant portions of our existence that will never be picked up, touched, or put on a scale, and they matter immensely in our existence. Hmm. Uh, so going a little bit further with some of the Pythagorean ideas, we've got the numbers, and we had talked about this before. You've got the, the Pythagorean tetrad. That's the pyramid where you have um, a pyramid of dots that represent unique numbers that are, I think, for the most part, allegedly the fabric of the universe. You've got the monad, the duad, the triad. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on something like that, some concept like that? Do you think there's any value in people studying something of that uh, type of information? Yeah, you know, this is what I'm talking about. Science gives us cars, you know, and we all appreciate having a car so that we can move about uh, instead of walking for five days to get, you know, someplace that's not that far away by the modern standard. There's absolutely value in this, but this is one of those things where it seems to me um, something has been omitted uh, or the, the whole, you know, it's like they gave you a slice of the apple and then mm -hmm. held back the rest of it. So, yeah, that piece of apple is good. It's nourishing. You can eat it. But where's the rest of the damn apple? Yeah. So the monad, you know, it's clearly unity. The mm -hmm. duad is duality. And so much of the kind of spiritual side of what we see that science ignores is duality. And the funny thing is then there's the real kind of spiritual plane thinking that the triad is a result of the duad because you have one which splits into two so mm -hmm. now you have a one and a two and that automatically makes the triad the three you see yeah and while you haven't set out to make the three then the three was made whether you wanted it or not you see mm -hmm. so there's clearly value in these things it's, it's a bit you know even with the monad unity um even that automatically makes a duad because you, if you can have the monad, that means you cannot have the monad at the same time. And there's right. a duality. So it's almost like you can never really have the monad. And in the line of thinking I've just laid down, really begins to show the value in it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's fascinating. It really is. It's something I definitely want to kind of continue down. I at the same time I don't want to be wasting, you know, a whole lot of energy on some of these things that we potentially could be looking at as being deceptive and so forth. Uh, and then that actually ties into the next question I had for you, uh, Pythagoras. He was a very, well, allegedly he's a very large influence on the works of Plato, Aristotle, and other Greek philosophers. Um, what's your take on these people? Do you think these individuals, A, even existed? And do you think their ideas were truly objective philosophical ideas or basically mouthpieces for that time's uh, ruling classes? No, I don't think they existed at all. I mean, half of them are named, you know, where these ideas reside in that supposed ancient time. Uh, planets carry the name for some of these supposed people. Gods carry the name for some of these people. Um, some of the teachings are related directly to, you know, like Prometheus, um, mm -hmm. which is a god, which I think means it was never intended to have been a real person. Um, you see, these are ideas. And whether or not there was a cult value in the ideas, it is clear that these are the ideas that mattered to the, the nobility, the royals of the time. You had to know your ancient Greek. You had to speak Greek. You mm -hmm. had to go do that grand tour of the world, and Greece was one of the places you had to go. So there was clearly value there. But again, I suspect in the case of what we're talking about here, we didn't even really get handed a piece of the apple. We got some seeds, and unfortunately, the seeds are sterile. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, yeah, and so going off of that, now I kind of wanted to get your take on the cube. Everybody talks about the cube, cube this, cube that, and so forth. And that is actually, um, in some ways, or form tied to the Pythagorean tetrad where you've got three going into four, and then you've basically got your first four-pointed three-dimensional figure. Um, what is your take on the construct of the cube? I got two questions on this one, too, for you. Um, what do you. Where do you think this idea of a cube originated from, and what do you think that the cube symbolizes? I think it has to do with a really deep occult teaching uh, about foundational ideas. And I know that in the Greek thinking, you know, the cube was meant to be a building block of everything, you know, kind of like how you build a brick wall, but that was foundational to all things. Kind of like we say the atom makes everything. There was this kind of idea in some of the teachings I read where it wasn't an atom at all, or, or maybe it was, I don't remember. It was a cube. And so when you look at that, it, it, if, if a triangle becomes the first polygon and then you add that fourth point, you mm -hmm. know, it, you can see where this goes. And then when it gets three-dimensionally extruded, this two-dimensional square, which is one of the uh, – it's not one of the platonic solids, is it? I can't remember. Um, one of the solid shapes where we, like, get dodecahedron and all these other things. Yes. What, is that platonic? It, I believe it is, yes. Yeah, I think it is. I can't remember. But it's one of the platonic shapes. So clearly circles, squares, triangles, you know, yeah, there's a very foundational occult value that actually has value and meaning. But when we fast forward, the black cube symbolizes Saturn. Mm -hmm. And what's worse is it was intentionally symbolized with Saturn because, in my view, we have never had an object in space, and yet we're being shown these pictures of Saturn's pole that show the cube embedded into the pole of Saturn. Sure, sure. And that's not a real image. That's a construct because we don't have things out in space taking pictures of anything. So intentionally, you're seeing the cube being pulled over to Saturn. Um, and Saturn is a whole thing, man. It's, I mean, we could do five shows on Saturn. What Saturn <laughs> comes down to in in the modern age, this week that we find ourselves in. And the first thing you got to realize, Saturn's eldest daughter was Isis. 
Look what right. ISIS is doing to our world right now. Well, the original ISIS is supposed to be the protector of life. Right. But what we see ISIS becoming is the exact polar opposite of that. And so Saturn right. is Kronos. Saturn is time. And if I had to coin a new saying for the eons, I would say this. The bars of the prison we find ourselves in is time. But the warden of that prison is your mind. That is all attributable to Saturn. And uh, look at things like Mecca, where there's the black cube there called the Kaaba. Think of Kab Kabbalah, the mm -hmm. Kaaba. And these people are circling it, making the ring around Saturn. Matter of fact, any ring, your wedding ring, you have it because of the idea of Saturn. It's binding. Mm -hmm. It's like Lord of the Rings, even Lord of the Rings. It, what do you think they're talking about? And what's Lord of the Rings got? The two towers. The middle book is the two towers. Right, right. And Saturn is L in the Semitic and Hebrew. Um, you know, it goes on and on and on. I don't think we have enough time uh, <laughs> in a show that covers this much to kind of go into how the ruling class uh, is wielding the symbolism and the emblemism of Saturn. Uh, but the short answer is, Eldest daughter of Saturn is Isis. She's supposed to be a protector of life. That's not what we see. We see death and violence with Isis. They've twisted it and made it a dark, polar opposite thing. And Saturn is time. And the prison that we live in, the reason we are in this prison and suffer in this prison is because of time. And then the warden that keeps us in this prison is our minds. So. Huh. Very, very good. Very interesting. I always love getting your... Your thoughts on this subject matter it's uh, it's fascinating um, and then going into um, the next question I have is going back to the thinking of antiquity you've currently been talking quite a bit about the idea that space is water uh, the meme that space is water and I know that uh, you and I had chatted when I saw that uh, Hennessy cognac commercial right that had the, the two individuals uh, proto astronaut and submariner that basically imply that outer space was indeed water uh, where, where I guess, where, where are you currently at with that idea? Are you uh, still collecting evidence, making observations, collecting data that supports that? Or do you have any new ideas or lines of thought regarding that? Well, you know, the week that I announced that I thought space is likely water, uh, Brian Mullen, who I actually interviewed a couple hours before this interview today, I finally got him. He used science to do the same thing about a day after I did um, to say that the – was it a thermosphere? I don't remember. Uh, is liquid, but he used science to get there. Um, there's no getting away from it. And in my view, it's a bit like the lunar wave. I filmed the lunar wave. I pursued the lunar wave. I proved it can be filmed. I proved more than just me could film it. Uh, the cat's out of the bag. In the same way that I announced space is likely water, um, everything I pointed to, the language, the, you know, something solid like the JFK moon speech, we set sail on this new sea, um, all the language and, uh, you know, the 25% of observation, telescope observation that I used was backed up with about 75% of encoded memes in our popular culture and movies and media. And then the lion's share went to the language, the language emanating from governments and the ruling class that flat out states in an encoded way that space is water. The short answer is, sure, whenever I get the chance, I will always be looking to add more to that. But uh -huh. I view the topic as a whole as having been stated in public mm -hmm. 
the cat's out of the bag, and if there is any value to it, that should be enough. Mm. Interesting. Uh, so if you so just from like if you take a step back then, so you've got this planet, you've got this plane um, that you've mentioned before that we all live on, we all experience life here. You have something that is basically enclosed by a large body of water, whatever that water might be. Um, you've mentioned that this is a closed system. Um, yeah. some, I wanted to get your ideas or other um, supporting evidence that has led you to think that this is basically an, a closed loop system um, and your current hypothesis regarding that. Well, again, um, unfortunately, uh, at least I would say less than 75, only about 50% of the evidence uh, for that came, maybe even less. Maybe the lion's share of the evidence to, to, to state that this is a closed system came from direct observation, maybe as much as 75% using my telescope and uh, observation camera and then some other smaller portion uh, correlating unrelated ideas. Some of the things that absolutely confirm this beyond doubt is rocket launches, as an example. Almost all rocket launches go up, arc hard over the ocean, and then are cut soon after the hard arc happens. In the modern age, I added a law to my own private crow's thinking laws that I use. That law is anything amazing in the digital age that can be filmed in HD will be filmed in HD, and there is no rocket coming back into the atmosphere filmed in HD, and no rocket leaving that isn't faked leaving in HD from a ground-based viewer's perspective. There are some faked ones where there's a camera on the outside of a rocket and other ones that I view as fake. The moonshot, you know, we've ripped that apart. Well, why was there even a need to fake the moonshot? Well, part of that was because they couldn't go. They couldn't get out of here. Satellites, we've pretty much demonstrated up and down that satellites do not exist as described, and they sure as hell don't exist in the numbers, 10 to 20,000 or whatever it is. Um, right. You know, there's no picture, again, breaking the law. Anything amazing that can be filmed in HD will be filmed in HD. There is not a single real-life video of a satellite in space doing what it does. You know why? Because they can't get a satellite into what is called space. Then we have space images. I maintain to this day you have never seen an image of anything taken from space. And then there was ancillary things like the moon. All the thousands of hours since 1994 or 5 that I spent out viewing the night sky with a telescope or binoculars, I saw many hundreds of what are we're told are meteorites, fireballs. While I do not accept that those are meteorites because we lived in a closed system, uh, for the sake of this argument, let's say they are. For the sake of this conversation, I will say, okay, I'll accept that. I've seen hundreds of meteorites, fireballs coming in as I've watched the night sky, particularly doing what's termed uh, meteor showers. On, as a matter of fact, on a single night, you can see a hundred or more. Many uh -huh. of those over the years looked like they may have even hit the ground. And yet, from the first day I ever looked at the moon to today, it has never changed. And yet mm -hmm. it looks like it's been in a shooting gallery um, yeah. We're told, you know, it just these things do not jive. Here's another law for you. Change. In the same way anything amazing that can be filmed will be filmed, there's an even more substantial law. Change. Everything is subject to it. There is nothing that has not changed since I began the beginning of that sentence even. And yet the moon seems exempt from this. 
Um, so, I mean, those are just some ancillary things that demonstrate. But rocket launches and satellites are pretty damning. And then, you know, how, how can you walk away from the moonshot? It's proven fake. And when you walk it back, uh, you begin to realize why. Yeah, yeah. Something I just thought of, have you ever done any research looking at the names of craters on the moon? Do you think there's a, a code that's been put in yes. to the ideas? Okay. <laughs> I just, just thought of that right there, now. I, I looked at it before. There's different – you have to look. There, There is rhyme or reason supposedly to how things were named. And when you go look it up, um, I haven't looked at it since, I don't know, about three years ago was the last time I looked at that. I had a 60s, 60s moon map from the Apollo – you know, one of those posters from the Apollo days, which is uh, ironic because the axial tilt listed on that 1960s poster is different than the axial tilt they now list in Wikipedia and other places. Go, hmm. f go figure. Hmm. Yeah, I'll have to follow up with that. That's uh, I've seen some images of craters on Facebook from other astrophotographers and that, and they've always got those curious names that harken back to the old uh, the Greek philosophers and so forth. So yeah, definitely check that one out. Uh, in kind of in line yet with this idea of a closed system that is Earth, uh, what are your current thoughts on the concept of the firmament? You know, it's it's there. Uh, well, I don't I don't call it the firmament. I call it a hard fast boundary. I don't want to use the language from any group. I don't want to use the ideas from any group because I think a lot of them were put in place as stumbling blocks. But when I was a kid. Uh, going to Sunday school, uh, I remember the first time I heard firmament and I thought, that doesn't sound like air. And then I remembered later in my 20s when I finally looked the word up to find out it's not air at all. So over my head is this firm, just like it sounds, thing. Um, yeah. But there is a hard, fast boundary. We need to know more about it. But uh, what can I say about this as an example? Uh, okay, uh, the movie voted best movie of all time, all the time, Citizen Kane. Mm. At the very end, and this is a, a good this is a good allegory because in Citizen Kane, this rich boy inherits a newspaper and then proceeds to make up fake wars. And when the countries that are supposed to be at war call and say, "Hey, we're not at war," he says, "Yes, they are. It was in the paper, you know." So yes, you are at war. You know, it doesn't matter. The paper said you are, and demonstrated what the ruling class does to us with false flags and how media works. At the very end of the movie, this rich boy who owned all these papers is dying. And he says the words Rosebud, which I guess was supposed to be his sled or his sleigh. But what very few people realize about that scene is as he dies, he drops a snow globe. Mm -hmm. But as they look close at the snow globe, the snow is flying in the globe. But as the globe rolls out of his hand, the whole scene, the whole frame is in snow, implying that you are in the snow globe. Huh. And this is one of those coded memes. And now that I said it, that M part was a little weak, maybe. I thought it was going to be better than that. Point is, oh. uh, we need to know more. Yeah, yeah. Shame on me. I've, I've seen uh, bits and pieces of that film, but I think everybody would probably do well to check out some of these all-time classic films, uh, you know, with yeah. kind of a, a set of lenses that we you, have. You got to get older, man. I tried to go at that movie so many times when I was younger, and I couldn't do it. Finally, when I got a little crust on my dust, I was able to sit through it, and there's there's quite a bit to see. You know, it's it's a very telling thing. It's it's rubbing in your face. I think it might even be a 1933 movie. I don't remember. It's old. Um, maybe it is a 33 movie. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. Um, point is, is they're rubbing in your face what the people who control the information gateways do to us. Huh. Yeah, maybe you could put a 
a top five films that all of us should check out. I'd, I'd be uh, first one to get everything in queue and, and check them out. Uh, the, the next thing I wanted to ask you, um, returning to the idea that Earth is a, a planet, a plane with a T, um, and I wanted to get your sense as to why do you think uh, the education and information that's been prevented to us, the masses, have worked so hard to prevent us from knowing the true physical nature of Earth? It's the most basic rule of controlling people, divide and conquer. Um, it's like a computer. Bad information in, bad data into a computer gives you bad data out of the computer. Not even allowing human beings to understand where they are in the scheme of things is another way of ensuring that every decision that is made for an entire lifetime, cradle to grave, is based in error. Which means you have not made a good decision because you have based your your the things that made you make that decision were incorrect. Yeah. It's just another controlling mechanism. And the real truth is when you start to learn like a human being and advance on more of a spiritual level, the importance of truth cannot be overstated. The importance of being truthful, of recognizing truthfulness, these things are paramount to a human being trying to ascend. And when you've lived your life not even understanding that the place you live is misdescribed, it's an impediment to that. Hmm. And, and kind of following up with this, uh, the idea of things being misdescribed, what do you think the actual nature of our solar system as we currently view it is? Do you think it's uh, an extension of a larger closed systems, uh, something more cosmic? Uh, any thoughts on that? You know, that's a tough one to answer because there's no language that I can come at it to relate to people eye to eye on the level that I think about it. Um, what we see when we look at things like planets is light. That's all we can know of it for now. We know for a fact they have been lied to because the space agencies whose job it was to inform us about these things were put in place to lie to us. That's what they do. Their job is to ensure we know nothing above the blue sky we can see. Um, you know, I noticed you added the idea of archons in a couple questions, but here's the rub. Mm -hmm. I don't buy into archons or any of that other stuff. The reason I don't buy into it is because I have no basis to buy into it. Sure. Um, and while... That doesn't tell you whether or not it exists. The truth is you cannot address it until you have a reason to address it. But I can say this. There is a movie out there called Revolver. It's a bit bloody and a bit foul in a way that I don't appreciate. But the underlying information being handed to you is critical information. The information is pointing out to you that every one of us has an ego and every one of us thinks the ego is us. I think my ego is me when it is not. It's the other. And it's not helpful. It is the thing that we have to overcome to get back to the true me. In a way. And I probably didn't describe that very well. But uh, you asked for a movie. There's a movie. Revolver. Revolver. And while I don't agree with... I'll, uh, actually 90% of that movie I don't agree with just because of the violence and all the other things that are subject to it is one of the few movies that in a way most people can understand illustrate what the ego is and that the ego is the other uh, as a matter of fact if you ever studied Jung or others mm -hmm. who were actually at a very kind of high adept level um, which was stripped away from what they taught 
as time went on in Western teaching, that kind of occult portion of what they had learned had been stripped away. Um, the idea of archons is almost no different than an ego. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Very interesting. Um, okay, so returning back then to the idea of the solar system, I want to get your take on the unique light in the sky known as the planet Venus. There's been lots of research, photography, so forth, that kind of presents the planet Venus as maybe not being a um, pure spherical, but more of a, a refracted light. I, I don't know how to best describe it, but what's your take on the planet Venus? The first time I ever saw Venus was a few months before I got my first big 8-inch telescope. And I went up to the Cuyamacas with a friend of mine who was taking an astronomy class. His professor got access to... It was a smaller scope, but much bigger than my 8-inch. Um, I don't know. I don't remember how big it was. Maybe it was a 12 or... I don't know. It was a decent-sized scope. Probably bigger than a 12. I just don't remember. When I saw it, it was phased like the moon, and I was stunned. It was not what I was expecting. So here's another one of these weird things. We look at all these planets, and then here's Venus, and of course, because it's supposed to be inside our orbit... Um, with respect to the sun, it phases like the moon. But when it's full, uh, at certain times, it is so damn bright as to blow your mind. And it depends whether it's supposedly closer or further from us. But it's a light, man. It is a light in the same way the moon is a light. And not only is it a light in the same way, we can never forget that Venus is a god. There is a god, just like Saturn, just like Zeus, just like jupiter just like neptune just like pluto these uh -huh. are all ideas you see mm -hmm. I, I i don't know how to communicate that across yet at the level it needs to be communicated for large numbers of people to understand what i'm trying to say i'm trying to say that language has meaning and venus part of the word venus for us is a myth a construct an idea and i would suggest that what we have been told of the planet is no different. Mm. Mm. Do you think there's a, have you seen any possible evidence regarding the idea of a worship of the planet Venus, similar to what we had spoken to regarding Saturn anything yeah, like that? Sure. I, I mean, we're told that that's what the whole Mayan Aztec, you know, they, they're claiming, they're claiming that these stupid people didn't even understand. See, sometimes Venus is the morning star, sometimes it's the evening right. star, and they're trying to claim these idiots didn't even understand it was the same body that they were looking at. Right. Um, it's all ridiculousness, but they're also claiming that, uh, you know, one part of the world they're lining up things to Orion, and down in the part of the world we're talking about now it was the Pleiades and Venus. And, um, you know, but this is the problem. We're not getting good information here. Now, I think the question that would follow is there value in tracking the sky? Well, clearly there is. It's mm -hmm. people spent huge portions, massive amounts of energy to do it. But knowing that there is a value and knowing why it has value are two different things. And unfortunately, you and I and everyone listening are wearing diapers um, and we're scrambling to catch up and try to mm -hmm. figure out why it matters. Because unfortunately, we didn't grow up in the right bloodline to be told when we were young why it matters. Yes. Yeah, I would uh, agree with that 100%. Uh, and then kind of extending upon this again, uh, what is your sense of stars and constellations in the night sky? Do you think that that serves something uh, in respect to maybe a larger program? Do you think there's a, uh, a need to have these various constellations and stars that have been given names over time? 
I could say so many things about this, but I think I will say this. For the most part, the ones that matter are in a band called the Zodiac. The reason those matter is because it puts a position on the sun, the moon, and the supposed planets. What you are looking at is the bars of the prison measured. Time. There's only one true clock, and the equinoxes and solstices are the waypoints on that clock. In other words, I look at a clock and it hits midnight and tells me something. The only true measure of time is when the solstice hits that midnight, you know, or that's not midnight. It's midday. Uh, Christmas would be midnight. Um, and then the equinoxes, that is the only true measure of time. And if you look at any old map, you will see these women, uh, in goddess form with, you know, their harvests and all these things symbolizing the four seasons. Not too long ago on this world, the seasons, tracking the seasons, encoding the seasons was a big damn deal. This has moved far away from us because they don't want us looking. So while I could say so many things about constellations, the ones that really matter the most are the zodiac because they give positions of the sun and moon, and the sun makes life possible for us. Maybe in some way the moon does, but I have a feeling the moon does only bad things for us. Um, it, it, it is the bars of the prisoner time, and though that is the only way to track time. Huh. So in this, I know we had just spoken about the archons, and you don't have a whole lot of uh, thoughts or belief that that's ultimately what's ruling it. But if you consider time to be the prison, I mean, who do you think is the – or what do you think is the warden, I guess, for lack of a better word? Do you think it's – some AI, some sort of, uh, do, you, do you think there is a cosmic being that ultimately runs? I know this is a big, heavy, heavy question, but uh, definitely wanted to get your take on it uh, just briefly. You know, I, I have a lot of thoughts on that, but I'll tell you what, I guess I'll answer that question this way. The moment I can get out of these damn diapers, I'll let you know what I know. Yeah, fair, fair enough, yes. Uh, returning to the summer solstices, that actually was a perfect uh, lead-in right there. Um, do you think these are tied to some larger cosmic scheme? I know you mentioned time as being basically the ultimate uh, measurement that comes from these equinoxes. Do you think these equinoxes and solstices, do you think there's a, a reaction? Do you think they trigger some sort of a response in earthbound, earthbound biology? No, I think it's a clock, and I think whatever that change is, we know is happening. Look what happened in 2009. It's called the awakening, and you know, I, I have real problems with how it's described. People say, well, I'm awake now. Well, my name's Crow, and I'll tell you right now, I am not awake. I'm aware. There's a big damn difference between being awake and aware. Um, mm -hmm. I became aware at some point in my life, and I can't put a date or a time on it because it happened very gradually over a lot of decades. Um, the point is, is that the summer solstice and these other things mark time. Um, I don't know why, maybe time is speeding up, I've always considered this, that things, like if you listen to people talk in old movies, you get so bored because it's taken them forever to say something, and now when you see things, it's moving faster. Well, part of that's probably from conditioning. You sure. know, we need instant gratification, so it's manipulated to be faster and give us what we're after quicker, but I think it's more than that. I think in the same way a pyramid has a wide base, and as you move to the top of the pyramid, it gets narrower and narrower. If you were walking in circles around that, the closer to the top you got, the less time it would take to cover the same amount of ground to go around the object. For some reason, 
we are all in a position to elevate as human beings. For some reason, the ruling class is doing everything they can to stop it. In my view, the, the summer solstice, the winter solstice, the summer or the spring and fall equinoxes are the clock that allows you to count how much time has gone by and how much time till the next event that may be known about. Um, I, I'm not sure how else to go with that, I guess. No, that makes sense. And, and again, I would state, people need to remember, time, in my view, is the bars of this prison, and your mind is the warden. And for some reason, our minds are not as sleepy as they were some five decades ago. Right, right. That's definitely something that I've picked up to with uh, wonderful people that have reached out to me and I've spoken to. Um, it's an interesting time, I think. I'd be curious to see where all this ultimate leads to. Um, but I do have a question on that later, so I'll save that for later. Um, I noticed on the last, I've been listening to your episodes and so forth, and you've mentioned that the, you have a sense that the ruling class is very, very interested in tracking the solar sun. Um, why do you think that the, this group of people are so interested in tracking the solar sun, and what do you think this ultimately re represents to the ruling class, the symbol of the sun? There seems to be some genetic tie to being like a solar person in some way. I don't know what that is, and I'm not suggesting they were born from the sun. You know, I'm not referencing Hattie Bob here. Sure, sure. But there does seem to be something about royal bloodlines being related to the sun. But at the very base of it, I think it's pretty obvious that it's a bit like a god. It's being worshipped like a god, even to the point where the Bible that we read uh, is encoded in a way where you could take the word S-O-N, the Son of God, and turn it to S-U-N, the Son of God. Mm -hmm. These things were written in a way as to make these two ideas interchangeable. And, you know, you ask who did it? Well, look, pick up a Bible that has King James' name on the front of it. Really? We're uh -huh. going to worship a guy named Jesus and a God, yet King James, his name is on that book? Uh, that should tell you all something. And by the way, it was translated and rewritten by the man whose name is on that book. Um, everyone needs to set aside their religious beliefs and not get upset by a statement like that and truly consider what that means. The point I would make is they seem to be worshiping it like a god and there seems to be some genetic tie to probably royalty where they consider themselves sun people in some way. And I don't know exactly why. Mm. Do you think these, the same ruling class has any interest in the worship of Luna, the, the lunar moon? Yeah, because it's duality, and that's the true occult teaching. Um, you know, they probably have uh, the rest of the apple that we talked about earlier. So, um, you know, the, you don't have the duality. It's a bit like I was just talking with uh, Brian Mullen. Um, you know, I'd done a clip with Randy a long time ago to show people there is something to look at, that moonlight is cool, actually cooler than shade at night. Um, and everyone made fun of it. Well, Brian Mullen, who's uh, an engineer, um, he's going at it. And he said, yep, he's done a number of tests now, and it certainly is cooler. The light coming off the moon is cooler. There's your duality. Um, we are told that the moon is reflecting sunlight. I have stated I don't believe that. I believe the moon is generating its own light. When we begin to see that, in fact, you can measure that moonlight is cooler than shade, on the same night, right next to it, you uh -huh. begin to realize this is not a property of sunlight. Sunlight has a heating effect. Reflected sunlight has a heating effect, and yet moonlight has a cooling effect. So, yeah, sure, anyone worshiping the sun is going to have an equal interest in the moon uh, because it's the feminine principle. And, again, 
we see the ruling class has pulled this world out of balance by making it completely 100% masculine and diminishing the female aspect and even the female role and value in our societies, uh, even in 50s movies where it's so obvious to us now where you can see that women were secondhand citizens. All they were good for was making kids, cleaning up the kitchen, and vacuuming the house. You see that in our lifetime. Well, not in my lifetime, but not long before my lifetime in the 50s, you see women being portrayed. And now the ruling class made those movies, and they have diminished the Luna principle, the duality, the feminine. And they have pulled us all out of balance with this very male, masculine, chauvinistic, violent, all the time war, terrorist kind of sun ruled mm -hmm. world without balance. Hmm. Hmm. Very interesting. Uh, let's see here. How to kind of hop off of astronomy. I wanted to get your talk or your sense on the use of color by the larger mass media. Um, and then I've heard a couple of people talking about orange, purples, and so forth that are used by film, television, and so forth, and how it potentially has a psychological impact on the viewing audience. Um, has your research led you into any thoughts regarding psychological manipulations created through the use of color? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you've got to understand the level of technology that's being brought to bear in movie pictures, moving pictures. Um, you've got to understand the work that's been done with frequency, electromagnetism, all these things. As a matter of fact, uh, it has been pretty clearly demonstrated that if you ask a journeyman electrician how does alternating current work, they will say, we don't really know. What's going on here is it's known that all electromagnetic frequency is translatable across everything. In other words, once you figure out how frequency works, you can affect anything. Color, light, you know, even things are said to be vibrating at a certain frequency. Nothing is stationary. Having said that, it's been demonstrated that study, true study by mass amounts of people into electricity to understand like how AC works has always been retarded. Um, there are plenty of people who have demonstrated this. Um, color is a frequency. Frequency has an effect. Uh, if people want to visualize that in their mind, uh, you could explain colors as hot and cold, blue being cold, red being hot. And you can already in your mind form the effect hot might have to an individual as opposed to cold. But to put a solid everyday example, I was involved in marketing at the corporate level for a lot of years. Right, and right. I walked away from it because it is spell casting and manipulation and dishonesty. That is what marketing is. If you take the colors red and yellow, it was known since at least the 50s, you see McDonald's, red and yellow, Carl's Jr., that those colors tend to make you want to eat more than other colors, which is why when you go out to get fast food, very few of them are not making use of the colors red and yellow. So there's a real-world example of absolutely color is being used in a spellcraft way to manipulate you. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, and then the next... This is where I wanted to get your take on the color purple and violet, uh, more of a unique sense, or I should say a more unique color that I've noticed being used. Uh, I've been paying attention to television, um, and since Prince's death, uh, I've seen in the shots of the Orlando mass shooting, the yep. NBA finals, Christina Grimm's death, yep. um, 
everything has seemed to imply a hue of violet or purple. There's there's shades of it everywhere. Um, do you have any? I'm curious what your thought is on the specific use of this color and why it has been used so frequently of late. It's spellcraft and beyond the spellcraft, which most people won't understand and most people will just dismiss as nonsense, which it is not. Um, it's black magic being used against you by people who are very adept, but. Even if you set aside that because you don't know how to look at that in a reasonable way, um, your subconscious picks up everything. That's why you know you see words flash really quickly that you couldn't possibly read, yet your subconscious picked it up. Um, when Prince died, the color purple had already had the spellcraft done and it was being used everywhere in the same way that if you look back at the silly Ebola nonsense, that electric green color was being used everywhere. And then it goes all the way back to the 80s with the band Poison using that electric green. You see, it's echoed through time to have an effect because it's associated with ideas. The band Poison, the color electric green, the, mm -hmm. the disease Ebola, every snapshot you saw, someone's got the green gloves or a green shirt, or they're issuing shirts to everyone fighting Ebola that's that electric green. The purple was no different. It was key to the spell. But particular to purple is it's tied to royalty. It's a funny color in the way it symbolizes because it has simultaneously symbolized death and royalty at the same time. Um, that's a kind of a strange thing, but it is also often related to Saturn. Um, and the death part of the encoding of purple makes sense because Saturn is intricately tied with death having to do with time. Mm-hmm. And there's, a, there's actually a, a hell of a lot more to go into. Um, you can take a color and relate it to a note. In the case of some purples, and I glanced at this when I saw the question, D-sharp, the blue-violet, seemed to be the closest purple that I could see that I've been seeing. That's a D-sharp. Well, D is the fourth letter, and of course we've talked about four is the death number, 44 mm -hmm. being the death doors. Um, it has a 444 equivalent wavelength in angstroms. Uh, it's termed an unsaturated color, which makes purple a little unusual um, because to come up with pinks and purples and variations, you have to have two wavelengths to create them. In other words, there are colors like maybe blue called a pure color where one wavelength will get you there. Purple is not one of those colors. It's called an unsaturated color and it requires at least two wavelengths to get it. So you can begin to see... Um, how purple was used here, how it stands out, and how it directly ties back to royalty. And, of course, you know, we've already talked about Purple Rain Beer, which was released yeah. by the Queen the, the day he died and all the other nonsense around that, that hoax death. Yeah. Do you think there's some sort of a manipulative engineering? So uh, if you take something, say we assume that purple is indeed being used by the ruling class and rolled out, do you sense that there's a, a timing that it'll at some point, whether you want to call it a spellcraft or some sort of psychological manipulation inferred by these uses of colors? Do you, do you see a correlation between maybe solstices, equinox, different times, different uh, lengths of time? Have you picked up on any yeah, of that? Yeah, you know, so much of this is numerically coded and all of it pulls back to a calendar. Even our calendar is jacked up in a weird way that can be uh, mathematically pulled back to the true calendar, which I'm sure is still tracked by these people. 
Um, you know, you, you go out and look at the Jewish calendar, it's 5,700 something, which is probably a hell of a lot closer than anything we're using. Point is, um, absolutely. And unfortunately, I'm probably not the best person to do that because I tend to look at so many things all the time for me to sit down and track the color through time. But someone who's good at that type of um, you know, you would be a person good at it, you know, tracking details over time. You, I think you would absolutely see a correlation. And it's a, probably a bit like Pavlov's dogs, to be honest with you, where, you know, anyone familiar with that, the, the, the dogs hear the bell and they begin to salivate because they've been trained. When I hear that bell, it's time to eat. Lord only knows what we're thinking when the color purple that, you know, had that intention put in. But we are at the top of the hour. Let me take a five to seven minute break to get my poor little uh, heart patient dog out. Sure, uh, sure. Just to walk around a minute and be able to pee and get some, some liquid into him. And I'll be right back on the wire if that works for you. Sounds good. Thanks. All right. Thanks, man. All right, there it is, episode 15 in the bag. I hope you'll all join me over at Crow777radio.com. Again, the only true Crow777 site is Crow777radio.com. Every other single site and a number of Facebook and other social media sites are hoaxes. Uh, You'll know that because right now they're running a video with the all-seeing eye, Masonic colors, Baphomet, Satanist symbols, this kind of nonsense. Um, Anyhow, there it is. And I hope you all have a great week. Cheers.